Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. this worship series about a Christian response, and we've looked at a variety of different opportunities for us to choose to respond as a Christian rather than just to react as a human being. We've explored conflict, anger, hatred, and today we're going to explore pain and suffering. And it is a tragic irony that almost all of the world religions agree that pain and suffering is something that not only our faith should address, but also a place where almost everyone can find commonality. It is one of the first sensations that we feel as living beings, and it is one of the last sensations that we will feel before our death. It is one of the things that remains. In fact, during my time as a chaplain, oftentimes at Norfolk General Hospital, we would have brain death testing. And there are a variety of ways that they would do that to make sure that the person that we were treating had actually passed away. And the last one is truly horrifying to those of us that are alive. The last one, if you have failed all the others, is to take ice cold water and drop it in your ear. And that is a horrible sensation. I mean, that will elicit a physical response if the brain is not dead. And so having watched that happen a number of times, it was apparent to me that sometimes pain is a way of recognizing that we are human and alive. Not that that means that we should experience pain. I don't believe that God wants us to experience pain, but that unfortunately is a horrible reality to living in this world. And so what do we do when we encounter someone else who is experiencing pain or suffering, or when we ourselves are experiencing that, what do we do? Because sometimes we have to figure out how we are going to respond to our own pain and suffering. And I'm sure you've had the experience over the course of your lives to meet people who have a different response than many of us would like to their own pain and suffering. They lash out. They'll make others hurt and suffer as they have hurt. But as Christians, that's not what Christ did. Christ did not lash out at us from the cross. Christ did not lash out upon others during his ministry. Instead, Christ was very much about choosing to give grace and show God's compassion for others who were suffering. And so as you look at the ways that you can respond to pain and suffering, I found some things that we should not do, things that we're going to try to refrain from doing, even though some of them are very satisfying and some of them are very normative culturally. But here are things that, almost across the board, those who deal with mourning and dying and death and psychology and therapy, and even in the church, will tell us these are things that are not helpful when someone is dealing with pain and suffering. The first is just to advise them to think positively. Just think positively. Yes, I realize, you know, that you have a degenerative disease, or yes, I realize you're in the thrall of a a battle with cancer or that you've lost your job, but if you just think positive, it'll be fine. That is hardly reality. 
And in fact, it minimizes the suffering of others. You'll notice that Jesus doesn't say that to the paralytic, right? If you just thought positively, you could walk. Jesus never responds like that. Instead, we are told that we should look at other ways of supporting and encouraging people. Don't just tell them that if you only think positively, it'll be fine. Giving advice about what to do. Now, this is something that's really hard for us, right? Someone comes to you and they're talking about a problem they have and culturally we want to first respond with, well, here's what you should do. Here's what I would do. Here's what the experts say we should do. But we want to try to refrain from that. Sometimes people come to us and they are open, authentic, and yes, vulnerable, not because they want us to fix it. We can't fix everything. And that's not the expectation. I can remember having a conversation with one of my colleagues, and they were talking about how they're part of a clergy couple. So it's two clergy that are married to each other. And one day, one of the spouses was saying to the other, this is happening at my church, and went on about the drama that was happening. And the other spouse was like, here's how we fix that. And the first spouse was like, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to hear it. I didn't come here for you to fix it. There's only one person that can fix everything, and that is God. Sometimes we just are looking for someone to receive what we're feeling, someone to acknowledge that we are in pain and that we are in suffering. One of the glorious gifts of prayer is that we are able to send those thoughts and those feelings up to the highest heavens and God receives them. But it's also nice to see another human being receive them too. And so we want to try to refrain from just simply responding by giving advice. Don't discount their feelings. Don't ever tell somebody, well, you know, you're not really hurting here. You know, that doesn't really seem that bad. I'm sure you're actually not in pain. We don't want to discount their feelings. Jesus never does that in his earthly ministry. Jesus never comes up to somebody who's suffering and going, well, you know what, that's not really that bad. If you just thought positively, then you would realize that you're not really in pain. Jesus never responds like that. Try really hard not to trumpet your own pain. Have you ever told somebody about something that was happening and they're like, oh, that's nothing. Let me tell you what I've been through. I didn't know that this was suddenly about you, <laughs> right? You don't want to do that. I had a teaching assistant when I was in seminary who was working on her doctorate in pastoral counseling, and she had this great phrase that sometimes you will experience. There are you know, people within churches that will do this every now and then, where she says, it is not about arguing over who has a bigger slice of the pain pie, right? You don't want to do that. That's not what we're here to do. We don't help someone in a Christian way if all we're doing is going, that's nothing. Let me tell you how bad it's been for me. I can't imagine if my clergy colleagues, the two that were married to each other, if the one spouse had opened up and shared what was going on in their church and the other spouse was like, that's nothing. Let me tell you what happened at my admin council meeting. Probably wouldn't go very well. So try not to trumpet your pain. Try not to make it about you, because right now we're trying to respond to someone else. Don't tell them to just get over it and move on, which is hard. And I think that this is actually born from 
our desire to not sit in a place of discomfort. It is uncomfortable to be with people who are in pain and suffering. It is. And sometimes it can be so overwhelming to us that we are trying to hurry them along. You know, this, we, we, we just need to get past this. We've been dealing with this for a while. What you need to acknowledge is, this is really hard on me too. You don't want to discount someone else's pain and suffering because you're now having anxiety or it's too difficult for you to be there. Imagine how they feel living in it. So we want to try to be very cautious and not try to simply get them to move on. We've talked previously about how grief is internal, but mourning is external. And sometimes people get very uncomfortable with people who seem to be grieving. But I think those of us who have lost someone who is very close to us know that there's always a piece of you that is going to grieve that loss. So we don't want to just tell people, just get over it. Just move on. Why are you dwelling in this? That's not the Christian response. And the last one is kind of built into all of the others. Don't trivialize or diminish their pain. Yes, what you are going through right now may not feel like an epic battle with cancer. Or yes, what you are going through in the grand scheme of things, as people like to say, may not seem that bad. But to you, your pain and your suffering are all-encompassing. We have to remember that. Just as our sin as individuals is just as bad for us as anyone else's sin is for them, pain and suffering are just as traumatic and tragic for us as it is for each other. My pain and suffering might look different or have different catalysts, but it doesn't mean that it's any better or worse than yours. So we want to try not to have these responses. So now that we know the things that we're not going to do, just tell them to think positively, give them a bunch of advice about what they should do, discount their feelings, trumpet our own pain and suffering, tell them to get over it or move on or trivialize and therefore diminish their pain, what would we do? Well, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians. And this is the second letter, but there are more. In fact, we're not even sure we have all the letters that Paul sent to the church in Corinth. So what we see is that Paul is repeatedly writing to these people for two reasons. The first is that Paul really cares about them. He loves them. If he didn't, he wouldn't write to them. Paul could find better things to do and ways to spend his money than writing to these people. In fact, he's usually out somewhere else and can't get back to them because he's working in ministry here and now. But instead, Paul takes his time and his effort, and there was some financial contribution to sending letters back then, to make sure that they had this acknowledgement of their pain and their suffering, and Paul trying to encourage them and tell them in words, in writing, how much he loves them. That's why he says to them, as we heard earlier, do not lose heart, because yes, the outer nature of us is wasting away. We are getting older. Some of us are getting sicker. These things happen, but it is our inner nature that is being renewed every day. God's grace is with us, and that is what is happening inside. We want to remember that, that people are simultaneously in two places. We are aging and growing older every single day, but yes, inside, we are also being given the opportunity to be renewed. And that's a hard thing to remember when you're dealing with things that you never had before. For the first time in a long time last night, I did yoga. I hadn't done it in a long time. You know, pandemic, you fall out of habit, you stop doing it. 
And so I decided to do what everybody should do. I maxed out at 80 minutes, because that's how you get back in, right? You just go, ooh, 80 minutes. About 20 minutes in, I was like, you know what? I'm not 32 anymore. In fact, right now, I'm not even sure I'm 42. And I realized that like things I used to be able to do, like that, I can't do anymore. And I'd love to tell you it's just because I'm out of practice, but I'm also older. And I know that. And so I'm in this midst of this thing, and when you're folded up like a pretzel, that's probably not the moment to have that epiphany. Because it occurred to me, I was in the house alone, and I'm pretty sure the chihuahua isn't going to call for help if I, like, am stuck. And so you have these moments where you realize that, oh, you know what? My, my outer self has decided to let me know, although I will tell you, it felt like my inner self was screaming as well, that I'm getting older. I'm, I'm, am I wasting away? Mm, maybe not. Maybe. But then I finished, and I remember having this feeling, because my yoga practice always ends with what they call corpse pose, where you just lay there. And you lay there and you're just like clearing your mind. And I always use that as time to kind of talk to God because I'm actually still for once. And so I was talking to God and I was like, you know what? I have waited too long to do this, Lord. You have given me a body and I should have been a better steward of it. And I have waited too long. But God, aren't you proud of me? 80 minutes. Aren't you proud of me? I'm proud of me. And God was like, you know what? I am proud of you. I'm glad that you got back to work. Tomorrow, try 60. And so we realize this, that God is here to encourage us, but are we encouraging each other? Because I'll tell you what, I felt really happy. I was still riding high on the, yeah, 80 minutes. This morning, not so high on the 80 minutes. Not so high. So yeah, we recognize that it happens, right? Pain and suffering happen. Even when you're trying to be healthy, you're trying to do the good thing. And Paul is recognizing that there's problems in Corinth. He loves these people, and he recognizes that there's problems, and he's trying to help them because he doesn't want them to give up. Their Christianity is still so new and so young that if they got overly frustrated or it became too painful and caused too much suffering, they might just walk away, not realizing that they're walking away from Christ, not just this Christianity thing. And so he sends them these letters but they are also a people who seem to be constantly plagued by, what's the word, drama? There are people who are constantly having arguments over, well, you know, Paul came one time and gave us this, but these other people came, and this is what they're pitching to us, and maybe we should be buying some of this. And other people are like, I am not buying into this whole I have to be Jewish thing first. I mean, it's hard enough being a Christian. You want me to be Jewish and then become a Christian? Like, that's, that's way out of the charts for me. And they also have problems with um, interpersonal relationships. Happens every now and then in churches. And so they're constantly struggling and battling with these things. And these are places where they could implode. And Paul is like, I know it's hard. Do you recognize that? He acknowledges there. Don't lose heart. Because yes, our outer nature is wasting away. But this is a slight momentary affliction. And maybe we can redeem it by looking at it as preparing us. I don't believe that God is testing you when you get cancer. I don't personally believe that. That's not my theology. I don't personally believe that God is trying to throw you a curveball when your company downsizes and you get laid off. I don't believe that's God at work. But I do believe that Christians and all those who are reading from the scriptures are invited to say, 
God, this horrible thing has happened. Help me to redeem it. Help me to grow. Help me to learn. Help me to get stronger. Help me to find a newer, better way of being. And I think that's the Christian response to pain and suffering. How can I use this? And as people who some of us have grown up in the church and some of us have been in the church for a little while, we know that one of the things that our faith can give us is the ability to gain strength. Because I would love to say that you're going to have one really bad instance of pain and suffering and then it'll be smooth sailing. But I've done too much ministry with the sick and the dying to tell you that. I wish it were true. You know, that just one, some of us, maybe it would be in our teenage years, some of us 20s, 30s, whenever. And then you could just get it out of the way and then everything would be fine. But that's not life. But every time we confront pain and suffering in ourselves and in others. Every time we acknowledge it and we do the right thing, what we find is, is that we are spiritually getting stronger. We are getting equipped. We are recognizing that we don't have to be overcome and destroyed by pain and suffering, even pain and suffering in ourselves. That instead, that God has given us gifts and graces and others that will help us not only to endure and survive, but to come out thriving and better. And so that's what Paul is trying to do for them. And so here are things that we can do. These are things that Paul was trying to do for Corinth, but it's a lot easier when you're face-to-face. But here are things that we can do. The number one is to ask how they feel. How do you feel? You know, it's not just, you know, how was your day? You know, what's going on? But how do you feel? Asking someone about their feelings is an invitation for them to use that space to really talk about it. Because how many times are you like, well, how are you doing? Good, fine, moving on. Instead of saying, you know, how are you feeling? Letting people know that I really care if you are in pain and you're in suffering. Two, if this is what they would appreciate, a physical touch can be very comforting or healing. You can give them a hug, you can hold their hand, or if you're my sister and I, you could just be like, hi. My sister and I are not very physically affectionate people. Every now and then we make the mistake of like trying. It's like that really awkward like. That's her face, that's not even mine. And so like what we've gotten to the finally is like, you know what, we're not physically demonstrative people. We'll just have it here and in our voices and we'll just call it a day. And she's accepted that. So if I saw my sister and she was really, really upset, I wouldn't immediately go and hug her because she would be like, and it would just make it all worse. But other people might, might not just respond positively to it, but might actually yearn for it. So if, you know, sometimes people say, can I give you a hug? You know, would it be helpful if I held your hand while we prayed? Do you want me to just sit beside you and listen? What would help you to feel my physical presence here with you right now? And so if that would be helpful for them, yes, offer that. Number three is to validate their pain. We don't want to diminish it. We want to validate it. There's nothing worse than somebody saying to you, oh, you're fine. That's not, you're you're fine. You're not in pain. Can you imagine if Jesus had responded that way when he showed up after Lazarus had died? If he had walked up to that crowd that was mourning to Martha and Mary and had said, you're fine. You're being really big babies about this. Stop crying. Jesus instead validated their feelings. 
by himself crying. He wept with them. And so validating pain is important. We want to let people know, yeah, you really are feeling pain. And I can see that. I can see it in your countenance. I can see it in your, in your physical being. I can hear it in your words. And maybe if you're attuned, you can even feel it in their spirits. Validate them. For Share in their reactions. Share in their reactions. Sometimes it's okay. You know, you don't want to sit there like totally stoic while somebody's crying. I'm not saying that you have to mirror them. But it's okay to say, you know what? Yeah, that is really unfair. I would think that's unfair. I could see how you're upset about that. Or I could see why that would be so horrible. You want to share in their pain and their reactions in that way. You want to be compassionate, kind of empathetic about it. You can take that too far, you know. My sister and I grew up having to get a lot of vaccinations and tests done because my mother was a nurse and over the night shift in Arlington Hospital and was exposed to a lot of stuff. And so we were routinely having to get boosters and vaccinations and always tested every year for TB and tuberculosis, that whole thing. And so we were always getting like stuck and pricked, right? That was just kind of part of the deal. Now, you would have hoped that we would have developed like an immunity to that, but I, still to this day, I'm not real fond of needles. But one time I was getting a finger prick and my sister passed out. And I was like, you're taking this too far. I appreciate your empathy, but try to stay awake, right? Try to stay awake. We want, we want to exchange with people that, yes, it is okay to feel this way. We are validating their feelings. Create a space. Create a space for them to cry, yell, rant, whatever it is that you just need to get out. Do you have a person that you know any time of day you can call up and you know that you can be like, you got to hear this, and you can just pour it all out, and they'll receive it. And they know you're not yelling at them. You don't want them to fix it. You just, they are your safe space. And that's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing to know that you have someone to whom you can go. Yes, we can all go to God, but there is something really wonderful about having another human being be present with you for that. Now, I understand that for some of us, when we scream and rant and yell, it's terrifying. My son calls that wrath of God mode. And it can be very intimidating. So you have to like figure it out. Some people, that causes anxiety in them. Other people, they're like, you know what? I can take it. Let's go. Do it. I mean, it's one thing to ugly cry. You know what I mean when you ugly cry, where it just distorts your face all up? And for some of us, it makes our makeup run. You know. And so sometimes you need to have somebody that's going to be like, I'm not going to judge you with what's going to happen on your face right now. And I'll go get you Kleenex, makeup remover, whatever you need. I'm going to take care of you. And you let them know. It's okay. You don't have to be embarrassed because the outward sign of your pain and suffering is so clear. You can let them know that I will be with you and I'm not going to judge you because of whatever happens at this time. You can create a space for them. And the last one is really important. Offer them support by letting them tell you what they would find helpful or what they want. It's one thing to say to somebody, you know, just tell me what you need, you know, or if there's something that you need, just let me know. It's another to say to them, what would be helpful to you right now? Maybe you can cook. Can I cook you a meal? Can I bring you a meal that you can heat up later? Maybe there's something that you do really well. You know, I don't do a lot, but I can mow your lawn. These are not my words. 
But there are others who have figured out what they can do and what they have to offer, and they will offer it up. Or if there's something else, do you want me to take you somewhere and we'll go out and you can be distracted? Do you want me to stay here and be very present with you because you need this time right now to get it all out? What is it that you need or that you want? Because I want to help you and serve you. How can you do that? It's also a tremendous sign of love to hear someone be selfless and invite you to set the terms and the directions of what's going to happen. Because sometimes when you're in pain and suffering, you also are simultaneously mourning the loss of control and autonomy. Like when suddenly your body doesn't want to do the things that it used to do. Like when suddenly your life changes and you no longer have the independence that you thought you were going to have or that you had had for so long that it just seemed like a part of you. When those things happen, sometimes it's beautiful to have someone say to you, what would help you right now? What can I do? Because I want to be with you and for you, and I want you to know that. And if there's something that I can do, please tell me. So the things that we can do, that every single Christian can do, we can ask someone how they're feeling. We can give them physical affirmation if that's what they desire. We can validate their pain, share in their reactions, create space for them to cry or yell or scream or rant or just be silent. And we can offer them support and invite them to tell us what would be helpful. It's really important. You know, there are people who respond to pain and suffering in different ways. Some people, when they are in pain and suffering, especially if that's tied to a sickness, they want to be inundated by their, their loved ones. They want to have people present. They want to have visitors and phone calls. They want to have people there. Others do not. So you have to ask them what they would like. I'm the kind of person, if I'm sick, I want NyQuil, darkness, and solitude. I don't want to be visited. Don't come and see me. But other people, it's not like that. And I can't just assume that everybody just wants NyQuil and darkness. I can't assume that, so you have to ask. What would be helpful for you? What is it that you want? We used to have a church member before she passed on who would periodically end up in the hospital, and I can remember going to visit her. And what she wanted was for me to sit there and hold her hand and make her laugh. That's what she wanted. And I was happy to do that. I could do that. And it felt good to be there for her and do that. Now, I realize that when you're in the hospital for something that's so serious you're hospitalized, that the nurse is a little disconcerted by the woman in the weird shoes making you laugh. But you know what? That's what she wanted, and that's what she was going to get. And that's how we work as Christians. It didn't matter what the rest of the world was saying to her. If this is what she said would make her feel better, then that's what we're going to do. And I'll take weird looks from nurses and doctors and everybody else if it made her know that she is loved and cared for. And so these are the things that we can do. We're invited to be these people. Because pain and suffering is going to happen. But the problem in this world is that too often the world wants you to quickly move on. But the world has started to realize that by denying relationships that are truly authentic and allow us to be vulnerable, that we have created this entire subset of a workforce that creates that, but it's impersonal. I have a lot of friends and family members and colleagues and church members that are in therapy, and I think that is a wonderful thing. I would love for us to normalize Jesus and therapy. I think that's great. But therapy shouldn't be the only place that you can be authentic. 
Therapy shouldn't be the only place where you can be open and honest. We're failing each other if we don't allow people to feel that way. I remember at my last church, there was a woman who had lost her mother, and they had been very, very close. And when her mother died, she stopped coming to church. And I can remember calling her and saying, I haven't seen you since the funeral. You know, is something going on in addition to this, or is there anything that we can do? What's going on? And her response was, I'm angry. Okay. Your mother died tragically. I think it's okay to be angry. And her response was, Christians aren't angry. Is there a Christian in the house that's never been angry? No, we get angry. Jesus got angry. We don't want to be angry all the time, but it's a normal human emotion to feel. And I was like, why can't you be angry? And she's like, this is not how we're supposed to be. Because being a Christian, some people think, is about being happy 24-7. Doesn't work that way. It's not going to happen. Jesus wasn't even happy 24-7. If God in human form can't make it happen, the pressure is off of us. But there was a cultural expectation in her world of Christianity that she couldn't be angry. I was like, it's okay. God can take your anger. You're not going to say or do anything that God can't forgive you for. So don't worry about that. I don't want other people to see me angry. I think we would rather see you than not. We can take it. We can bear your burden with you. You can come and do this. The Bible is full of people who are angry. The Bible is full of places where people are literally crying out to God, what is happening? Why are we this miserable? It's okay. You can feel this way trying to validate for her. And it still took her maybe another six months before she could finally get to the place where she can come back. And that's sad because when you are mourning and you are angry and you are experiencing the kind of emotional pain and suffering that happens when someone dies, someone that you love so preciously dies, and then you feel like you can't go to church and be with the body of Christ because you're angry, it's a tragedy. It's like adding punishment to the pain but that's not what we're called to do we're called to be a place where people can acknowledge that it's not working so well that there are painful things that we are suffering very few of the epistles the letters in the new testament are like you all are awesome keep up the good work most of them are things are really hard right now i recognize what you're going through and this is really terrible but hear my words affirming who you are and God's love for you. Hear my words about let's try this and see if we can't overcome together. Let's try this. And just remember that even if we fail in this lifetime, Christ succeeds in eternity. And so Paul and the other writers are saying this to people just like you and me who are in pain and they are suffering and they are experiencing the harsh reality of a world that doesn't really have much space for people who are going to experience those two things. I mean, how many times have you seen people be like, you just need to get medication for that? Just get some medication for that. There are wounds that no doctor can heal. But there is a place where people will be with you as you suffer. And that was the point of the church to Paul. 
that this is where we come, that we can be together. And if we can't come together here, then where will we be before eternity? Isolated and alone. So instead, we look for these opportunities. So what is the moral to our story? Everyone experiences pain and suffering. But that might be different for you and for me. And that's okay. But don't do what I have done. Don't try to think positively or have a snarky reaction. I'm going to share with you a time where I messed up. I messed up really bad. This is a very confessional moment for me. I was talking to my mother on the phone, because that's what I do. I was talking to her on the phone, and she was talking about her own pain and suffering and how hard things were, and I did what you should not do. I was like, it could be worse. You hear the compassion in that statement? It could be worse. And my mom called me on it and said, how? And I said, well, you could be 90 and pregnant like Sarah in the Bible. And my mother, God love her, was like, yeah, that would be worse. But the difference is that my mother and I have a long-standing history together. You know, nine months in the womb and birth and this. And so she's willing to grant me grace. But what if that had been a new relationship? What if this had been somebody that I had just met, maybe a new clergy person moved into town and we're just starting a new relationship, and I said something that snarky to them? You know what I have told them with my words? You don't want to get authentic and vulnerable with Sarah because she doesn't care. And I was wrong. I was wrong. Do not respond like that. Thank God my mother loves me more than she was upset at me that day. But we are every day being offered into new relationships, and if we default to the things that we shouldn't do, the non-Christian response, then we will hurt people permanently. We will destroy relationships before they even have a chance to truly become grounded and blossom. And we don't have that right. We have one who has made the soil perfect for the growth of healthy relationships. Grace and love and forgiveness will grow beautiful things. But if we respond with a lack of sympathy and compassion and a desire to tend more to our own comfort and anxiety than that of others, then we will poison the soil. So we are given this chance to respond like Christ always defaulting to love and grace. May it be so. For people need to know that there is a group to whom they can turn and not be belittled or questioned, but loved and embraced. May that be who we choose to be this day and every day. May it be so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.